Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're halfway there in our divisional previews and we're living on a prayer that the NFL season kicks off without any delays. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We move south this week. We wonder if the Colts will cause defensive shivers under the leadership of Rivers. Do the Titans continue to thrill under the rejuvenated Tannehill? Can JJ Watt lead the Texans to the postseasons three years on the trot? And will Yannick Incogway finally find a trade to make his day? We've also got some details on our NFL Scotland Fantasy League as Scott Cooper has picked a listener who will get slot number 10. And we'll be doing the draft order draw live on this podcast. We're delighted to be joined by two returning guests. His Texans fan, Ewan Destequat from the Turn Up The Walk podcast joins us. And we welcome back Scottish cricketer and Titans fan, Ali Evans. Yes, good evening, gents, and thank you for joining us. So we're going to kick this off. We're joined, obviously, by a Texan and a Titan, as we talked about at the top there. Paul, you and me all pick up the slacks at the end. We'll cover those uh, in the secondary piece. But let's start with the Texans, and we've already kind of teased this a little bit because, you know, there's been turmoil in Texas. There's been hassle in Houston. There's been Bob Agri from O'Brien, or has there? So, you and we're going to open with you. Right, and we're going to lead you into the Texans on this. The Houston Texans can survive without DeAndre Hopkins because, well, because I think he's a a possession receiver. Um, obviously, I think a lot's been made of a trade that you know. I think people like to create narratives and characters, and O'Brien's definitely one of those. And I think probably gets to the point now where people can't see beyond that because. You know, they watch the ticker on, a, on a NFL Network and believe what they're told, and that's what Goodell wants. So I think it's, you've got to understand that the league's changed and the, that national narrative's always a year behind, probably, reality. And if you look at the trend of speed, and Henry Ruggs was the first uh, wide receiver in this year's draft, you had the Chiefs winning. They've got a track team built on the outside, and it's about matchups, and it's about how you take advantage of those matchups more often than not, than pure scheme execution. So, to, look, I think you can't ever dispute how great of a catch radius DeAndre Hopkins has, not a doubt. But I think when we're constantly in a lens of where people say, oh, well, you know, he scored me points on my fantasy team, he must be good. But actually, if you're me and you've sat and watched all these stall drives, if you've watched the, the unhealthy, disproportionate amount of targets and receptions, one guy gets. It's not a healthy way to live your offense. And, you know, we were terrible before, when we had Hopkins. And I think this is a league of have and have nots. And we unequivocally have in Deshaun Watson. And as part of his development, as hard as it might be to be, to pursue, you know, to for people to consume the notion that actually teams didn't want to pay up draft capital because he's asking for over nine million more a year on a two years and a five year deal. So, you know, teams didn't want to pay. They knew the Eagles dropped out. They, they knew Baltimore dropped out because they just weren't willing to, to part with the part with the capital that, that Arizona, you know, eventually did. Now, on paper, yeah, look, is, the, is, the, is sometimes the best action to do nothing. In this case, 100% it would have been. Um, but ultimately, he's a possession receiver in a league that's trending to speed. We've got a top three quarterback in terms of deep ball accuracy. Um, so I think... People don't don't want to see the kind of you know the nuances of it, um, and I'll, I'll finish off with a question for you because I looked into this and it, it it made me understand the logic more, 
when you delve into it. But I think this team's got the best defensive line it's had since 2011, without a shadow of a doubt. We've got two budding stars that were drafted a year ago. We've got Laramie Tunsil on the outside, who's a top three tackle. So when you get that solidifying of your line, it makes a huge difference to a young quarterback. And without doubt, the best the best group of weapons uh, that we've ever had. Now, the defence, yeah, that's another matter. But if I was to ask you, when was the last time a Super Bowl or a Super Bowl winning team had a, had a wide receiver or any skill player for that matter with the, num- with the percentage of catches or targets that Hopkins did last season? What, how, how many years ago do you think that was? My response would be, does that include tight ends? Because you look at what Tom Brady and Gronk did for for, for that run and how much was put on Gronk within that period. Yes, you know, there was Julian Edelman Edelman, and there was others who came into that. But, you know, when you talk about that run, it was was a one-two combination. You know, if if you look at what arguably the biggest dangerous combination right now and though they've not won a Super Bowl is is Drew Brees and, and Michael Thomas, then you know Michael Thomas eclipses by miles what what uh, what uh, Hopkins had uh, with it, you know, and and it's uh, I find it really interesting that you look people are just immediately looking at what Kansas City have done and they've gone oh they have to build a track team and of course that is one way to go about it but if you look at what people are talking about in terms of receivers, it's all about slot receivers. Slot receivers are now the biggest most dangerous kind of that in between the numbers, you know, they take away the outside and you look at, you know, people talking about who are coming out, who are, who are big possession receivers like uh, um, Debo Samuel and stuff, the, the hype and the credit he had. You look at people like Elderman over the years, that's where they functioned. So I think it's very easy to say, take a possession receiver away. And I, I, and I, and I get that, that there's no speed around, but they had speed around him in Will Fuller in other people in the past that allowed them to do it. And, and if you just go for speed and then don't have a top quality receiver to, to utilize underneath, then, then you, you can lose out there as well. So, well, yeah, I think, I think they have added that in terms of Randall Cobb, I think, and he, you know, he caught uh, 900 yards plus from Dakota rain. So I can imagine that's only, <laughs> that's only going to go up with Watson. Um, <laughs> So you know, I think you know, I think you're right. But anyway, to the question, and it doesn't, and it does include tight ends, by the way. And actually, the, my perception would have been exactly that. Alistair would have been that Gronk's percentage of catch would have been high. It's actually Edelman of the of two of the three Super Bowl um, uh, winning uh, teams. But I, I don't know if anyone else has a guess on that because I can see the logic behind it and and, and why they thought you know a possession guy might not you know having thirty percent of your targets is healthy. I'm I'm trying to think about yeah who who could it possibly be um, that you're going back to is it the Steelers? Uh, it's 2005 Heinz Ward. Now I I like Hopkins, but he's no Heinz Ward. So I think I mean it, it illustrates a point and a thought, and obviously that'll that'll test test itself out over time and and how that 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 comes through this season. Um, but I think what the if you if if you watched all the stall drives as I said and all the. All, all the forcing and for, plays forcing into them, defenses catching on being a bit predictable. I think what they've tried to do is become less predictable and more varied. And actually, if you look at the super, many of the, of the Patriots numbers, yeah, look, Gronk, big guy, you see a lot of highlight catches. Again, it affects your perception, but he wasn't always the number one or not even sometimes the number two in terms of reception. So the, the, the idea is to be to be better protected and be more varied and less predictable in the passing game. So it's, it's, it's an interesting point. And, I don't disagree with what you're saying there. Um, I think that, you know, as as a player, um, you know, on 
on separation, uh, on a wide receivers with a step of separation or more, you know, Hopkins was 17th in the NFL with 550 yards. He was tied for fourth with five touchdowns, tied for seventh with 44 receptions. You go over the past two seasons, he's fifth on yards, fourth receptions, tied second for touchdowns. That all it backs up your point. Um, you know, it's not about questioning the capability of DeAndre Hopkins. He is a good wide receiver. I think one of the issues that you touched on there, and the one that concerns, I think, me uh, as a, as a, for the Texans, is that there has been so much gone through him. And I think that's partly down as well to there's not been a consistent other wide receiver who's been there. Now, you've had Will Fuller, but unfortunately injuries have really held him back. I think he's class. He's exciting, but he is perpetually injured. Kiki Kuti seemed to be coming on to a great game and then seemed to take a massive step back. And then, obviously, you had the horrible situation with even Lamar Miller last year doing his ACL. He was broken. And then the the running back that you've brought in as part of that trades are perpetually broken running back that was brilliant but has totally fallen off. And I guess the worry for me is that I, I get the point. And, and actually, you, I mean, you could even look at Brandon Cooks, who struggled to make a full season as well. My worry is that... you stepping away from having that designated wide receiver one that you know everything's going to go through. I totally get that. That makes sense to me because, yeah, it's a very easy scheme to set up against and it doesn't utilise the abilities of Deshaun Watson. There's definitely a point where actually, you know, at times Watson was so desperate to find Hopkins, he almost maybe didn't see the other options available to him on the field because you're looking for your number one guy all the time. But is there enough talent there that's going to be around enough and capable enough to actually provide Watson with the tools he needs to make it a success? And I guess that, for me, is the the worry here. The defence is good. I don't think there's any questions there. It's well, the defence isn't good. No, I would, I would disagree. It's not good. I think that's the point. I think the, the concern is that that the, can the offence carry the defence? If we're relying on the defence, yeah, we're not going to be in a good place. But I, I think the combination of Fuller... Cooks, Stills, gives you three guys that can stretch the field and then you've got Cobb plus Aikens plus Fells and then we're going to have either Jordan Thomas or, or um, Kahali Waring who's a third round pitch from a year ago who's not played it down yet as, as, as big physical guys who can who can be move as well as blocking tight ends um, and are going to eat up that sort of centre of the field. So I think and what's in between uh, 11 and 20 yards is the, is the number one quarterback in the, in, the, uh, in the league in terms of that distance. So he, he thrives on that sort of intermediate range. So, yeah, I, th- I, I think there is enough. And I think, you know, you could all three of those guys get, or all two of those top, your number one and number two, um, be injured. Absolutely. But as I've always said, I, I, I think you can never trust your eye via television. I was there last year and there was Julio Jones and there was Hopkins on the field. And the, unequivocally, the best player on the field that day scored three touchdowns was Will Fuller. So if he stays fit for 16 games and him and, and him and Watson, I've got no concerns. And actually talked about that, that he's realised actually it was part of his posture that was giving him um, that was giving him hamstring and lower and, and, and uh, groin injuries. So I think he he feels like because he's never been injured but in high school and then going into college was never injured, never missed any games at all. He's just had some terrible luck, and I think he feels shaved off his dread uh, as, a, as a new dawn for him. So he'll be looking a bit different, but I think he feels like he's ready to ready to uh, start a new chapter of his career because it's a contract year for him. And I think if you're ever going to do it, players have got an uncanny ability of pulling out the bag when it's a, when uh, when they're trying to earn the bag. So uh, <laughs> I think um, I've got a feeling he's going to do it. But yeah, I mean, everybody could sit there in doubt with 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 credence that, that, um, that it could actually be, you know, be an injury injury uh, left season in Watson. It could be limited. But I think the old line there is, is good enough to uh, 
to, to, to give us a, an element uh, of, of stability that we've not, not had. And having the five starters return from last year, we only lost one game when those guys were in there last year. Right, you three have had your say. It's time for a little bit of sanity now. So first of all, if it's a new dawn for Will Fuller, being a dawn's a bad thing because you go out and you break COVID rules. So oh. that's not a good thing to start with. Oh, Anyhow, for all your clever on-the-field talk, and you and I think you make lots of very, very good points, I think the problem here is an age-old problem, is that the coach, the wide receiver, don't like each other, they think they're dickheads, and they're probably both right in this occasion uh, because it's not been handled well. Let's look at some of the off-the-field things. Now, Michael Irvin is is not known as a, as a shrinking violet. Now, he claimed that DeAndre Hopkins told him Bill O'Brien compared him to Aaron Hernandez and didn't like having multiple baby mamas around. Now, if that's getting out on Twitter, even if half of that is true, there was obviously something wrong with the relationship between the two. And I think we could go all complex and look at how it affects the field and how it affects this and does that. Bottom line is, Bill O'Brien given the power that he's got, if he doesn't like someone and he thinks, as you've explained, you've got Will Fuller and you've got other options, you want that guy out of there. I think where the Texans didn't play it very clever, I mean, you would grade the trade on a straight, what do you get? What are you giving away? What are you giving back? I mean, even John Swinney couldn't put that grade up from an F. It is horrific. <laughs> but yeah. I think it comes down to there, there was an absolute clash of personalities and Bill O'Brien's looked at it for the reasons that you've argued. Now, I, I would argue that if they've not done everything they possibly could to try and solve this and keep him there, I think you're giving away too good a player. But if he's convinced that what he's set up and what he's drafted and what he's got around can replace him. I mean, Ali will know this as a professional sportsman. You'll never forget them till somebody new comes along. If the Texans are successful this season, nobody's going to be talking about Hopkins. I, th- I think that it does relationship was a big part of it. And I think I think we talked about that, Paul, when we did the sort of post-draft wrap, wrap up. But I think yeah. the big thing was money. And when you're about to, you know, we just gave Laramie tons of the top left tackle deal, and rightly so. Um, and then you'll probably see Ronnie Stanley eclipse that probably this offseason, if not very shortly. Um, and then I think when you've and then we've also got to extend Watson. And I think actually with with the with the view of a, a drop in salary cap, which we could well, you know, could drop down some 20 million next year. Um, it's definitely something that it, it, it came down to money. Now, relationships and some of the stuff I know that did go on, that I wouldn't repeat, um, that um, I, I would have had him out of my team if, 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 that, if that is definitely to be led to be true. So, so yeah, I think, he, was he a good player? Yes, but he, I think you have to remember that he's a possession receiver. He's not, he wasn't the greatest route runner, but he had a phenomenal catch radius. He, did he get separation on the outside? No, he kept... kept putting in the slot because he just wasn't getting open regularly enough and it was it was holding back the offense. So it was a re-engineer of approach. And I think that's the thing. We we were falling short with him. So if, if we were to continue on that approach, that is the definition of insanity. And if you're O'Brien and he's got all the full control of the building, he said, well, actually, we're going to take a different approach to support Watson in a different way to try and achieve a different outcome that we've already done. So look, capital return, yeah criminal but at the same time why weren't other teams willing to do it because of money so it was a it's a counterintuitive situation that you've got a top three receiver that didn't have a big trade market but ultimately that was the case if that is the case you bide your time um but bill o'brien likes to like to see solutions not problems and i think he wanted it solved so he felt like he could move on and he doesn't want distractions so sad to see him go but 
is the have and have nots at quarterback, possession receivers, fifth or sixth, probably seventh down the list in terms of positional importance. But but they could have kept him around for at least another yeah. year oh, from a financial point of view. So I think that to me reveals that it, it's off the field issues that yeah. have probably won it. And I mean, it's quite a small league in many ways. And I think the lack of teams wanting to come in and take a chance on him, um, I think spoke, spoke volumes. I mean, I mean, it is a bag of beans you've got back, you know, David Johnson. I mean, if you've got David Johnson of his top prime, yeah, it'd be great. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I think, I mean, if I if I'm a Houston fan, I will take all the criticism of how it's been handled. I'll take all the brickbats that come my way because I'm then placing my confidence in the coach that the game plan is going to change and that the quarterback and the talent around them is going to be good enough. But it's a big decision for Bill O'Brien because if he gets it wrong and ultimately they have a bad season, uh, he's in trouble. You've got to have a bit of a wry smile, I think, for a guy who likes to go to uh, Paris Fashion Week living in Arizona. It's a bit of a paradox, so we'll see how he get, gets on there, because I don't think he's going to like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed that we've, we've we've gone through, what, 15 minutes of this, and the name J.J. Watt hasn't been mentioned. <laughs> you know, it's just it's a sign of the times of, you know, and people forget what an incredible talent, you know, he is. And and, and what you were saying about the defence, that the secondary is is appalling. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're still, you know, they got rid of Clownley, probably rightly so. They're still trying to find out how to replace him and the things around him. But JJ Watt, you know, when we've seen him come in and even have stretches of four, five, six games, he's lifted that defense. He's lifted that offense. He's lifted that entire team. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Texans this year is it, it is if everyone's healthy, and their full roster is out. And Bill O'Brien, as a coach, you know, Bill O'Brien as a GM is a different conversation. But Bill O'Brien, as a coach, with his, you know, with best 22 players available, they are absolutely up there. And everything you and said is correct. The, the problem for me when I look at the Texans is that if a couple of these injuries happen, as they've had done the last couple of years, and you can't always predict that, if there's another falling out, if, if the, if the, Tile starts to come away from the roof a little bit, the whole thing goes. There's not that depth. There doesn't seem to be that sort of cohesion around the whole thing. It's very much a top-heavy roster, um, you know. And I and I and I don't have maybe as much information as some other people like you. And but that's just the perception I get. And you know, as a the um, as a coach, Bill O'Brien, his record is actually quite good with some of the parts that he's had. It's this GMing which comes into question. And I'm not a huge fan of his, but you've got to look at him and go, kudos for what he's done as a coach. I think he's been bold. Um, I, I, I think it, it goes against a grade of many, many years of GMs who were conservative and didn't didn't necessarily want to make the trades. But you see the, the, the subsequent trades for Jalen Ramsey, you see the ones for uh, Jamal Adams. So actually, he, you know, he, he was the first to do that. And this sort of next generation of younger, different thinking GMs have taken a different approach and, and been aggressive to fill needs. And I think particularly next year's draft as well, when you think about it, now this is limited ingenuity of his own, but mind you, just put that to one side. But next year's draft's a complete lottery. So you could probably get a first round guy in, in another year with another year under his belt in the fourth or fifth round next year. So I think sort of draft picks and all that kind of thing's underrated. He's dared to do things differently in a league that likes to keep itself in-house and in a certain way. So I understand why the criticism's coming. You know, in two years' time, it'll be, you'll be able to know if it's justified. I mean, on, on the defence, I wouldn't necessarily agree, Ali, that the 
secondary is, is, is the weakness of this. I think Bradley Roby, former first-round pick, we traded for Gary Connell. He's going to have, well, he's going to have some pre-season um, to get into the system. You've got Lonnie Johnson, a second-round pick from a year ago. So I think actually in terms of where that's been in the last three or four years, it's probably in its best place it's been. I think for my my concern was, and like you said, Ali, about J.J. Watton, look, he's had some injuries, but he spoke recently and he said, look, this is the best I've felt since 2014 because when you have injuries like I've had, it takes you at least a year and a half, 18 months, you know, to 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 get back to the, the he, he as he described it, climb the top of the mountain. You're back down, back down at the start in terms of getting your your overall health and, and then game game day ability to to rush rush the passer. So I think where the the element of this defense comes in is how good are we going to be in the trench? I think we're probably one of the you know we're up there in terms of linebacker and in terms of middle linebacker. So we've got a lot of versatility at linebacker and different skill sets. And it'll be a question of, I think, as a first-year play caller, can Anthony Weaver arguably get more production out of less talent than Romeo Cornell did a year ago? And that that's the question that remains to be seen because it'll be a tough a tough year and a limited off-season to implement new ideas for, for a guy who's doing it for the first time with a headset. So one of the challenges, obviously, that the Texans are going to face now as well is that there feels like there's been a little step up from the competition uh, and certainly coming into it this year. So it's a perfect segue to move on. And Ali, uh, up next, we're going to talk about your Tennessee Titans. So uh, Tennessee can win the AFC South for the first time since 2008 if... <laughs> if uh, Mike Vrabel has learned how to be a better coordinator... Um, I think, you know, we just talked about the Texans. The last time we saw Mike Vrabel as a coordinator was in 2017 when he was the defensive coordinator for the Houston, uh, for the Texans, sorry. And in that, you look at the stats from that year, they were 32nd in points allowed as a defense. They were 19th in yards allowed as a defense. They were 28th in takeaways as a defense. So since then we've not seen him coordinate defense. You know, people over the off-season have talked about what they were going to do with Ryan Tannehill, with Derek Henry, losing Jack Conklin. You know, all these things were the main storyline. The, the biggest storyline for me is Dean Pease retiring again. You know, he retired from Baltimore, came back, was talked back in to come to, to, to Tennessee. And, you know, what he has done in the last couple of years to take a defense which is not really talked about, but is very much a top half of the league defense, which is, you know, some of its parts is greater than individual players, excluding the likes of maybe uh, Kevin Bayard. You know, the pass rush, you know, outside Drell Casey, who now got rid of, has very much been made of bit part players and schemed up to allow to get pressure through nickel corners, etc. Linebackers like Rashad Evans and 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 partners in crime, Jayon Brown. So now that Mike Vrabel, yes, he now that is his team. He's been there two seasons. And I think as a head coach, I love what I've seen. You know, he's, he's, he's a man motivator. He gets stuck in at training. He, he gets a culture. He builds cultures from what I've seen. He's hands-on. He's part of it. You know, he doesn't sit in his ivory tower. You know, he's all about building a culture and getting the best out of people and who him and John Robertson bring to the environment is what's led to, um, you know, four winnings, four seasons with a winning record in a row, and obviously one game away from the Super Bowl. Now, it was obviously part, he was be part of the headsets, conversations going around through offense and defense. This season now, he is the play caller as it stands. And that might change between now and, you know, three and a half weeks' time. But as it stands, he is the play caller. And that, as we've seen a lot of coaches over the years, is very much a different kettle of fish when you are 
in charge overall, you know, looking after the team and also then having to pick a side of the ball and be the actual play caller on that. And I think what I've saw from the defense in Houston in 2017, you know, and the stats back up wasn't, you know, wasn't hugely, you know, exciting. It was, it was about. Yeah, I thank you, and I'm glad you could say you can remember, you know. So that that for me is they can win the division if if they if they want to play the same style of football as they did last year, which is use Derek Henry as a battering ram and play action, allow to move around Tannehill into space and give people like Corey Davis and AJ Brown and, and Adam Humphreys, who's who's the forgotten man because of his injuries the second half of the season. If they want to do that, the defense needs to have play their part in that. And I have concerns at the moment as what defensive coordinator Mike Vrabel would be. Love him as a head coach. Brilliant. The best thing that's happened to the Titans in a long time. However, that that kind of balance, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how he copes with that. At the wide receiver core. So we obviously gave you in a bit of a tough time there around his wide receiver core, giving away a great wide receiver and what have you. Do you think there's enough talent there to actually mount a, a, a challenge like you saw last year? Because what you tend to find is with the NFL is however way a team plays in one year, inevitably the teams are set up to defend against that way. So if the teams can figure out a way to stop Derrick Henry, which, by the way, is stop him before he gains three yards because he's slow and <laughs> cumbersome at that point, and once he gets going, he's a bloody nightmare. But you know, if they can figure out how to stop Derrick Henry... Are there enough other alternative options on this team to be a threat in the division? Yeah, I, I think so. Just because what 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 I was saying previously about slot receivers and where the game is going in that underneath stuff is that you know I, I said it. Adam Humphreys, if you look what he did in Tampa the back, last couple of years there, um, you know that's what he was brought in to do. Plus the emergence of John o. Smith. You know, Johnny Smith at the back end of the year was was not only a field stretching tight end, he was also a tight end who could play between the numbers and over the middle. He was also utilized as a running back uh, on a number of occasions, including a 25 yard run uh, uh, in, I think, either just in the playoffs or one of the games he needs to win to get into the playoffs. And that athletic tight end, you know, those two are going to slide under the radar. It's all going to be Tannehill, Henry, and AJ Brown. That's what's going to be talked about. And yeah, a lot of responsibility goes on A.J. Brown's shoulders. He's what we wanted Corey Davis to be from what we've seen from year one. Corey Davis didn't step up for it. But I think you, you try you take away one thing, you take away two things. You take away, say, Brown and you take away Henry. What are you going to do about one of the most young athletic tight ends in the game? And what are you going to do about one of the best slot receivers in terms of chain moving, you know, that, we, that, that, that we've seen? And, you know, we talk about the Texans having one of the best O-lines they've had you know, in a while, which I agree with. But I think, you know, Tennessee, people talk about Jack Conklin going, well, how he's going to be missed. Jack Conklin as a pass rusher wasn't hugely spectacular. Brilliant in in, in rush uh, rush blocking. But you've got Dennis Kelly, who has been his swing tackle and has actually played more of his career in the harder position at left tackle when he's had to come in than right tackle. And, you know, Ewan's going to disagree with this, but we've got the best left tackle in the division in Taylor Lewan, easily. You know, he's been there and he's done that for years. You know, Larry Mutonstall's young and up and coming and people talk about him, but, but he slides under the radar, Taylor One, until he mouth runs too much and then he upsets the wrong people. Like he always seems to against the Bills. But actually, as a fundamental tackle, 
you know, you can put them on an island against the best pass rushers in the league and not worry about it in run or defense. So if you look at that line, plus having Ben Jones as a center, one of the most underrated centers in the game, if you look at the stats I've got in front of me, you know, actually the O-line is is now a strength when you Elijah Roger Saffold, who took half a season to bed in there, but now he's got that relationship at left guard. You're asking Nate Davis as a second-year player to step up. You know, I, I think that O-line is actually, again, underrated. So from an offensive point of view, I'm not concerned about us having to go and try and do the same thing again. The difficulty will be is if the defense can't pull their weight and then we have to go right off schedule, right off scheme and, and chase games at, from, from two and a half, three scores behind. Sorry, Well, I, I was going to say, there's a couple of things. I mean, if you use the Baltimore win in the playoffs as an example, I mean, you were, you know, outshot in terms of yardage by 230 yards, but, you know, the three turnovers that were generated, you stopped the Ravens four times, you know, fourth and four. I mean, it's quite a blue-collar approach, I thought, from from Tennessee they're hard working I mean they drove me nuts in the early part of the season because I thought they would do well and then you know they go lose some bad games but I think I, I think there's just tidying up to do in certain areas I mean the, the worst field goal unit uh, in all of football that can't be allowed to continue because that will cost you games it probably didn't do so much this year but it will cost you games next year um, and I think just to on the point of where do you want somebody to be your play caller, I often think it's easier to be a head coach and offensive play caller. I think there's more subtlety at times required on the defence. Um, and that's why I prefer to see a defensive coordinator call the, call their own plays. And I think you just get to work with the defence an awful lot more. But Tennessee intrigued me to see if they can do, because sometimes you revert. I've been watching a lot of baseball and, you know, some teams start hot, but they say, you know, you revert to your average eventually. Will we see just a Ryan Tannehill go back to being an average Ryan Tannehill? Will Derek Henry go back to being a threat that can be contained? It's going to be interesting to see how creative Tennessee can be to keep themselves up at a competitive level. But I think on the Derek Henry thing, people, you know, when Derek Henry has been given the reins and he's not had Dion Lewis or he's not had DeMarco Murray or he's not had some fill in the blank, let's try and be clever about this person getting in the way of him being the workhorse, then then it's not been an issue. You know, and everyone talks about the contract he got and is he going to be able to repeat it after 300 carries and all the stats? Yes, you know, if there's a slight uh, regress to the mean, that, that's fine. Same with Ryan Tannehill. No one expects him to be have the best stats in the game again as a Tennessee fan. If he can be above average, that's that's fine. We're not asking him to be top two, top three. What we're asking him to do is be a really good game manager, be above average, continue to use that intermediate routes he, he, and that rapport he had with AJ Brown and, and um, Johnny Smith. And then, we, and then with Derek Henry, when he is the workhorse, he's he's been brilliant. And all those touches he's had in the last year and a half, season and a half, you know, that's if you actually look over the course of his career, he barely had any touches in the start of his career because it was all DeMarco Murray. And then for some reason last year, they wanted to get Dion Lewis involved as much as they did. So actually the freshness that he potentially can bring is going to be more than people are actually giving him credit for. And also look at the man. He's six foot five and wider than the four of us combined. <laughs> you know, if there's anyone who's built to do it, you know, it's 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 him. So I've got no qualms in, with the offense. I don't expect it to be a top five offense. It doesn't need to be. What I expect to do is that the sum being great in the parts. And if, and if as you say, the, spe- the special teams were brilliant last year, apart from 
field goal kicking. You know, best punter in the game, uh, block kicks to win games. You know, some of the some of the work they did there. But yeah, that was a weird one because Ryan Suckham for years was steady Eddie, was 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 calm, cool, collected, and then he just fell off a cliff, as as can happen. So that, rightly say, Paul, is a concern. There is a Scotsman that's currently available at the field goal position, one Graham Gunnell. He already looks good in light blue. I think it would be an easy transition <laughs> for him. So there you go. Uh, the pitch here from the NFL Scotland podcast is get Gunnell to Tennessee. I'm sure he'd fit in perfectly. A Scotsman. No income, no income tax. No income a, tax. a Scotsman will fit right in. Uh, we, like, um, we like whiskey and uh, we like country music. Um, Scottish folk music's very similar. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> make it happen, eh? Make it happen. Um, move on then. And Paul, the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts will prove that Philip Rivers is the best piece of veteran free agency quarterback signing because... Because his family will bring a boost to the local economy. Um, no, I mean, it's, seriously, I think Philip Rivers strikes me as a clever guy. And I think he was courted by two or three teams. So I think he's gone somewhere where he thinks, um, you know, that there's a coaching uh, situation that he likes. And there's a, there's a little bit of talent around the place. I mean, Marlon Mack had a great season last season. You would hope he would do so again. I think they've got some talent around the roster. But I think coaching has always been a strength. Frank Wright has always impressed. And I think that's what Philip Rivers is probably going to do and see if he can actually make a difference. I mean, Brissett was okay. He wasn't absolutely brilliant, uh, but he was okay. Uh, and I think if you are somebody like Philip Rivers, you know, you've got a season or two left. You, you don't want to go to a lame duck season. I think he sees it as a, it's a division that's got Ryan Tannehill, who he will think he's every bit as good as. It's got Deshaun Watson, who he'll love to go up against, I'm sure. Um, you know, Garner Minshew III doesn't scare anybody at the moment in Jacksonville. He's got potential. So I think he sees that, you know, there's building blocks there. I mean, they finished seven and nine. They lost, you know, three of the last four. It could have been a slightly different tale for them. Um, and, and I think he has got the possibility to bring a little bit of his savvy and experience um, to the whole Indianapolis Colts affair. You know, the Colts are a little bit like the Titans. Sometimes you just don't know quite how they're going to do. But, you know, they've got a good running back. They've got a good quarterback. They've got good coaching. And these things usually are successful. I think it's a lot, though, to ask for a, a guy who's already taken a high school coach position for the year following to have a bounce back year. I don't know if you watched the game in Mexico City. And he's always had a bit of a skewed throwing motion. But I think it's difficult to... In this off season, and actually he was filmed walking into the building, going, I'm walking into the building at whatever date is this, like, you know, this is ridiculous. So I think he probably knows he's up against it as well, I think. And it's a better situation, you know, if you think of the, you know, his protection. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think he had a he's probably gonna have less less people less weapons to throw to, but potentially better protection. Um so he, he's kind of he's kind of not necessarily better off um in that sense in, in that situation in Indianapolis. I think I, I think asking you know, a guy, uh, a guy like that at his age to try and to try and you know learn a new offense in a short and off season, who looks like he's potentially on the wane physically. I think that's going to be you know as difficult as to for John Ursa to stay sober. <laughs> well, I, th I think he, I think he's been clever. He's gone somewhere that's indoors, which takes the weather factor out of it. I think they will probably 
be a little bit simpler on offense. And he will, I think he'll bring some of his, the plays that he wants to run there as well. And I think he's got the veteran influence. He can do that. I mean, I'd like to think, Ewan, that, you know, they sat down and talked this through and it's not just, you know, you are going to have to learn our playbook. I think there will have to be some level of compromise. But it'd be interesting to see, because if he succeeds for a year, does he stay another year? Or is this just simply a stopgap year and he just fancies playing somewhere else? Well, I, think he's got the, yeah. I think he's got the drive to do it. Yeah, you've got to remember that you're not allowed to uh, criticise the GM there because Ballard gives a great interview, so he gets a free pass in the media. So you, you've got to keep it positive <laughs> at all times. And the fact that they're giving 40-odd million, you know, 40-odd million to, or 60-odd million to two quarterbacks, you know, you've got to let that one slide. But I, I, I think that the core of the roster, and they've not spent cap dollars, and they've, and they've consistently drafted, and actually I've seen Ballard talk about they've got a Green Beret who comes in and certifies the character type of the players. And you look at guys like... Uh, you know, you know um, the, the linebacker um, that they brought in from South, Car- South Carolina State. Um, he, he's obviously been unbelievable, um, more than what they thought he would get player they were getting in the second round and Darius Leonard. And then you've got, you know, bringing, bringing in Buckner as well. I mean, Cameron can testify to what he'll do to that offence because guys like Tanico Autry, Ben, ben Bangagoo that have come in are actually kind of decent mid, mid, to, mid to late round picks. Now, this isn't a season for rookies. And I think for for every other team in the division, I would say the only probably position you could probably come at into the league this year is running back and sometimes wide receiver um, in terms of offense. If you're going to make a contribution, and 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 the two and the two that they brought in, I think in terms of the, the running back from Wisconsin uh, and Pittman Jr. A, a, a wide receiver, you know, he was I really liked him. I think we talked about that before, Paul, on. on uh, yeah. in the summer there that I thought those guys could potentially come in and contribute and I think particularly Pittman Jr I think he's got you know a sort of A.G. Brown initial co- you know contribution in year one potential about him but I think yeah it's, it's, it's a tough ask they, I think they've probably got the most balanced roster out of the division I think you know if you look from 1 to 53 but it's it's just going to be a case of can Philip Rivers give them those extra kind of yards when they needed it when really when Brissette was in there they were just relying on running the ball and really they were only throwing it as a last resort and can Rivers give them a balance but on balance watching Rivers last year I think it's tough to, to tough to tough to say that that could happen and on considering the landscape of this offseason yeah you've hit on Rivers yeah, putting all your eggs in the river's basket is dangerous for, from my perspective, it's especially in this offseason. Everyone expects him to be this veteran presence who comes in and lifts the players around him. But I, I, that's not what they need. They don't need a, a man manager who's going to do it. They need, a, they need an X factor. Outside to T.Y. Hilton, you know, you, you're relying, say, on rookies. Jonathan Taylor, who's, the, who's a running back you were talking about, you know, you don't know what you're suddenly going to get. Are you going to get a Josh Jacobs? You might well do. You, you don't know, but that's a big that's a big ask to to expect that. I think Marlon Mack actually is probably you know a little bit forgotten about. But again, what's around him is is okay. And Phil Rivers, at the best, is is okay. He's not suddenly going to become a million dollar player again because the O lines are better in front of him. Yes, he's not going to be running for his life, but that doesn't suddenly mean that he he becomes the the gunslinging you know. That, that he was it's a, it's a it's a big big ask and I'm glad you brought off Darius Leonard because I think what actually killed them last year was, was the defense from two years ago when they sort of came out of the blue Lux last year you know the what phenomenon the defense was and it was on the back of building the core through the middle with I think it's Amari Hooker and um, if, if I'm right saying and, and then Darius Leonard through that core 
that spine. And then, as you say, adding Buckner, the, the core, the spine of the defense is 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 looking really, really good. And then, and then suddenly you're asking Rivers not to necessarily have to do a huge amount. Uh, but then again, that's that's putting a huge amount onto that defense because I think they're expecting it to be on the shoulders of Rivers. And I'm not, I don't think Rivers' his shoulders are are young enough anymore to to hold the weight. You've got that effectively that the the reliance on probably the second most important part of your defence and, and the Colts are relying on Rocky Sin, a guy from Temple who dropped to the second round, got all the athletic traits, but he's effectively going to be their number one corner. Pierre Desir was, but they released him. Don't get me wrong, Kenny Moore's fantastic nickel and uh, and he does a good job over the middle um, and Deshaun's seen that a few times been picked off by him, but I, if, if, they've definitely got better up front, but the concern will be can they match up with 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 the with some, you know whether it's in Jacksonville, whether it's in Tennessee, on on their on their receivers or in Houston, I, I think that's where they're going to struggle potentially and get caught out is on the perimeter. Uh, can they hold up man for man and play press man coverage, which you need to do because you can't play zone consistently and think you're going to get away with it. And I think they'll probably be relying on that to a degree. So, but I think the the other thing is that they could start really well if you look at the first seven games. You know they've got the Jags, they've got the Jets, they've got the Bears, they've got the Bengals, they've got the Lions. You know, they've got a lot of winnable games. And if they could get a good start and stretch off, uh, I think that the difficulty comes at the back end of the schedule. But if you start well and Rivers could settle, then, you know, that that could be something. Now, they open against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I had to fight Cameron. Uh, Cameron won, obviously, uh, to tell me exactly uh, what the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to do. So question for you, Cameron. It's a good thing that Jacksonville won't have the ability to lose in London this year. <laughs> because we're going from, I think, the best uh, roster in the AFC South to easily the worst. Um, good grief. They're... What to say about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Uh, I think, you know, for a long time, this division's been quite competitive. And I think that, you know, there's there's been a long time where uh, there was a lot of the teams were coming into it. And over the, over the years I've been watching, I've always thought, actually, this could go one of a number of ways. And I think this is very much a case of there's three teams in this and there's one team absolutely nowhere near it. There is, there remains character issues and players that don't want to be in Jacksonville there is a lack of talent um, and depth at the wide receiver and they've gone and got a bunch of guys the, the exception to that of course D.D. Westbrook of course because we're giving away a signed D.D. Westbrook Jacksonville Jaguars top uh, which is obviously a thing to, to behold so D.D. Westbrook gets a pass D.J. Chark had a, a couple of flashes a good season Garner Minshew's won the job it's his says to lose I think that he showed enough to be given it. There was a lot of running around, though, a lot of headless chicken stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they focus that and, you know, can he sit in the pocket and do what he needs to do to, to drive this team forward. Uh, Leonard Fournette is a worry. I think he wants a way. He's certainly not been happy. He doesn't tend to get very well used. I'm not sure he's the player he even that we thought he was. Yannick Ngokwe is obviously very vocally wanting away, so there's disruption in the locker room. Uh, I thought when they got rid of Ramsey that they might have got rid of some of that, but actually you've got rid of Ramsey and there's just another voice in the in the line to step up and, and uh, be discontent with the whole thing. So I think that, you know... <laughs> It's funny they're they're talking about allowing crowds into the stadiums in in Florida still, but Jacksonville might do well to forget about that this year. Just keep them away, you know. Keep that pool for something else. Put some, put some, I don't know. Put some dolphins in it or something. No, don't do that. It's cruel. Um, 
I, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling with them. And I, I like the Jags. I've got a soft spot for the Jags. I've seen them a number of times. They had that season where they got so close, oh, so close to the Super Bowl. And Miles Jack wasn't down. Um, and that was a disgrace. I tell you what, Paul, you, you harp on about officials, but I still don't think anyone got shafted as hard as the uh, the Jacksonville Jags got shafted against the Patriots. That's a much bigger outrage than that. That Robbie Coleman 50-50 one, you know, that could have gone either way, but uh, Miles Jack was definitely not down. Um, listen, if you're taking pops at Aberdeen, I'm having pops back at the Saints. <laughs> he's, he's shaking harp his on, my God, harp on. <laughs> Jeez, don't... Don't get me started. You and Ali will shake their heads and, and go away. You know, I mean, yeah, the, the, there's been concern for the Rams, you know, for example, that the salary cap might not allow them to get the better assistant that they want and stuff like that. You know, the, the line judge they're looking for. But let, 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 let's take let's, the officials yeah, out of let's this. De- let, let's not derail let, this. We could do that yeah, next let, week. Let, let's not go back there. It'd be interesting to see. So, so I'm, I'm just because I've just learnt this and I'm, I'm very interested. So I'm going to throw it to 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 the three of you. What percentage chance? Is it currently rated by ESPN that the Jacksonville Jaguars will get the first round draft pick? I'm going to come round and just ask you to give me a number. Uh, what percentage terms? And I'll give you because I, I think it's kind of high given the first fact there's 32 pick. teams. First, first overall, overall pick, pick in next year's draft. So you and what, what percentage do you think they're currently looking at? Seven, seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah, that, that's right. Ali, I, I was gonna say I was gonna say thirty-five. Okay, come. I wasn't gonna even say as high as that. I was gonna say eighteen. Eighteen. Uh, Ewan's obviously still recovering from the Hopkins trade, so we'll get back to him. <laughs> but the, the, the only the only reason why I say that though is because I think they're a great test case for this year, as I think probably Minnesota will be as well when they've drafted. You know. Over a or almost a full sixty-man practice uh, practice squad roster of rookies, how are you yeah. going to get these guys to be able to function in this off-season? And I think those those two teams will be a great example of that. So, like they they've built for the future. They've almost punted on it by drafting that many rookies. I would argue, and we'll see Minnesota. But I think you know they've got a, a, a potential decline as well with the lost personnel. That bringing in this many guys in an off-season like this, when you saw the teams like the Saints, you saw the Texans take minimal players because you know their front office was this is a veteran year, not a, not 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 to bring in somebody who doesn't even know that burgers are bad for you as a professional athlete, and that's the, that's that's sometimes the, the element of education that you're that you're you're bringing into your building, and you've got to start from scratch. So, yeah, I I think Jacksonville probably punted on this season already in many ways, but you never know, Minshew. You might, you might, you might dazzle a bit and do what he do what he does, and then it'll it'll probably hit. You know, it, it has a shelf life, but you know he's he's entertaining. I think he's a good character for the league. You know, tank tank for Trevor. Is that what the Jags are doing? Is it, are we already, we're already getting these hashtags out. I mean, yeah, t- Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he, he would be just to answer the question. It's twenty three percent chance at the moment um, that that it's rated. Now, looking at their schedule. Um, they're not slated according to one of the prediction models I looked at <laughs> I, I've to win more than them. two games. Uh, I know, I know you've <laughs> slated them, but you know if you look at how they start, they start the Colts, the Titans, uh, which are difficult, Miami, Luke, Cincinnati. Luke. You know they're they're not slated to win until week six according to this, and that's only because they're picking on the Detroit Lions. I thought you were going to say um, it's a bye week. 
<laughs> no, that's week seven. That's week seven. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you, camera. You know, I think there's, there's been that thing that you know that the Jags have become a UK team and people like them and, and you know they've got a good following. So I don't want to take the Mickey out of them too much, but I think they, they were a classic example of a team who had the draft picks, who had the window, um, who had everything going for them, and it bypassed them. And I think they're going to have to you know go back down before they come back up. I just look at this team and I've got no idea what their identity is anymore. Like for a while, you felt like they had a close to the vest, Leonard Fournette, you talk about whatever sort of character he is, you know, hardworking on the outside. Blake Bortles was what killed them. We all know that. But it was kind of play defense and it was there was an identity there. You said it was a blue collar, thuggish mentality. And yeah, there was some ropey, you know, character issues in there. But because you all sort of bounded together in this thug mentality, it was, you know, it seemed to have some sort of intrigue and potentially, say, one game away and one call away from the Super Bowl and uh, any team could get hot. But now I look at it and it just seems to be floundering so badly in the water. You know, even when you looked at teams like Miami last year, they're going into the season, they still, still seem to at least have some sort of plan of how to move forward in terms of bringing in a, 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 a veteran in Ryan Fitzpatrick who could be that bridge quarterback and be that mentor for however they ended up and, they, and what have you and they brought other pieces in at least have a look at they don't even seem to be doing that anymore it just seems to be such a lost you know ship you know I've got Josh Allen you know who's brilliant on the edge uh, but, you know, you look at, I don't really see what else they're kind of building around here. Yeah, DJ Chark is a flash in the pan. But I just, it, at least you, if you're a Jags fan, you want to at least put your hat on something. And this is our identity. This is our plan. At least. And I can't even, for the life of me, see what that is. And that is when you're in dire straits. <laughs> see, <laughs> see you, you've opened up for my favourite gag, which is when I was in Florida, when Blake Bortles got released on the Jaguars, all these jerseys went on sale in the shops. And I went to buy one, but going to the till, I got intercepted on the way. So, did you did you see the the video where he gets interviewed? And I think this summed him up. And the the, the interviewer says to him, "What do you think of first thing, or what do you do first thing when you get up in the morning?" And his answer was, "Piss." So I think that was <laughs> that, that that was what you were dealing with. And that franchise that franchise put you know put their put their that, that probably a generational defense into that guy yeah. blindly and. Uh, and uh, yeah. and then now they're paying the cost. And the thing, I think, if you look at the two draft picks as well, you know, the cornerback from Florida, he was us. He was slated second, third round. One of these guys get hyped, gets hyped up into and and the KV on chase on the LSU edge rusher. He's developmental at best. I even the two draft picks, they're not immediate polished starters. So I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think all the signs are there that it's you know it's twenty twenty one. Like most people are looking forward to right now. Twenty twenty one is is their year. <laughs> Well, did they did they draft that one, uh, that cornerback who they literally said his biggest issue is he can't tackle? And I'm thinking in a league where you've got to play defense and you can't <laughs> even tackle, like what? How are you even going in the top three rounds? I just it, it, it's just beggars belief. What what's going I, on? I want I want that guy's agent if he's able to do that. I want his yeah. agent. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up then and what we'll do is we'll move on to the prediction part of this um, what we'll do is we're kind to you guests me and Paul go first then we'll hand the reins over to you guys to get your thoughts and then we'll get your far too early Super Bowl picks so uh, Paul I'm going to let you lead this one how do you see this one panning out Great. So I'm looking at a Texans fan and I'm looking at a Tennessee fan. Um, so I'm going to upset someone. Um, so plus I also 
put the pitch out for the Colts as well. So I'm in a difficult position. So I am going to say that the Jags are going to finish bottom. I know that'll come as a surprise. I don't really want to debate that. Um, the Texans, these three teams, I, I think they'll all be within a couple of games of each other. Um, so I'm going to go. I, I believe that that Philip Rivers will will be an impact, and I think that'll be enough to make the Colts in second. I'm, I'm still in with the Titans. I think they're solid, and I think Houston have got a problem. They may well prove me wrong, but I've got to go in some kind of order. So I'm taking Titans, Colts, Texans, Jags. Okay. Uh, Titans, Colts. See if, see if you put the, the microphone down away from you, you need to reach for it quite quickly. <laughs> you know, Stephen Thompson's got faster reaction time than you. <laughs> I was trying to type your thing as I do because it saves me <laughs> having to listen back to your nonsense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you went there Titans, Colts, Texans, Jags. That last yep. happened 2008, just so you know. What I'm predicting has never happened before. It's never been this order in the AFC South at any point in history. Uh, I have the Colts to win this. I think that is a a roster that is set up for success. They are a wide receiver or two away from being uh, something special. And I think that they do enough to win this division. I think that Rivers is an angry man that can uh, drive that team forward. I think that Tennessee are close behind. I think that the 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 Texans have a a season of re-evaluing who they are without DeAndre Hopkins. I think that there is some some change there, and I think it'll take Watson maybe a bit of time to get into that groove. So I think that you know they they slot into thirds, but I, again could still have a good season. Could still manage to sneak into that new playoff position. You never know. This is a tight division, and then the Jags are out right bottom. So that has never happened in the AFC South. I've got Colts. Titans, Texans, Jaguars. We will go from that to Ewan. Yeah, I mean, I see that my, my possession receiver line of thoughts not not sort of ingraining yet. So I'll keep going <laughs> with that one. But um, but no, I, th- I think for me, I just it, it, it is the league is so simple that in fact it's the best quarterback and inevitably will win you games. So I think it will be the Texans. I think. And you've got to remember as well this year that we've got an extra playoff spot. So um, there's 14, 14 rather than uh, this year rather than the 12. So I think you've potentially got three teams in this division and the AFC make the playoffs. So I think I think it'll be neck. I think all the teams have got a chance to be nine is anywhere between nine and eleven wins all all three, um, depending on various factors. But I think you've got to go by the quarterback. So Watson, Texans, and then I'm going to say the Titans, Colts. But but to split even, um, and then Jacksonville and their uh, and they'll they'll not need to worry about the tarpaulin on the uh, on the upper tier this year. They can leave that and let that gather some uh, some faded from the sun. <laughs> they could just tarpaulin the whole thing. Um, right, okay, Ali, we'll let you round things off then. Yeah, well, I think something we haven't touched on really at all throughout this is we have, well, maybe a little bit, but it's continuity wins the day. And I just look at the rosters and go, which in a time with no real preseason uh, and everything else, the continuity is going to win the day. And and the team that's had the, the least turnover and the, and the set starters coming back in the same role is the Titans. Um, and people say, you know, the, the people work out what to do, but you still have to stop it. And everyone in that roster knows what they're doing. 
So in the, tit the Titans win it because they're literally rolling about the same thing. It's, they don't have to change anything the off-season when they're not together. Uh, I think for a similar reason than the Texans coming second, I think is say Deshaun Watson being a bit of the X factor there, but I just don't trust the the sort of full 53 roster. I think it's far too top heavy. And I think a couple of injuries, uh, we're, we're not a proper off season and, and, and the dominoes fall. I don't think the Colts, I think probably do have maybe the most consistent roster, but Phil Rivers has to prove it to me. And I just, again, bring a new quarterback in who potentially, as Paul said, is bringing in some of his own plays and into the scheme. How well will his teammates, you know, come to that new potential scheme that comes around with a new quarterback who wants to do things a bit more his own way? And then the Jags, the old chlorine tank up in North uh, North. Florida is is going to stay bottom of the barrel and I got a long way to go until they get out of that from my, as far as I'm concerned. So it says a lot about this division that that's the first time so far out of these preview episodes, and this is the fifth one, that we've had four different permutations of the predictions. Um, other than us all going for Jacksonville at the bottom, <laughs> no two of us have matched uh, Point across that uh, so definitely very interesting there right okay guys we'll move very quickly on because i know we're running out of time here but uh your far too early super bowl prediction what we want here is your afc winner and then your nfc winner and who is going to win it overall and ali because you got to go second on the divisions you get to go first on the super bowl prediction so who's your afc who's your nfc and then who wins the whole thing uh my, I'm pretty clear, and it's going to be very happy to someone who my NFC team is, but my AFC team, I'm, I'm not, I've, I've really struggled with it. And I think, I, again, I think you can't go back too far away from continuity. So therefore, fortunately, I'm going to have to go for the Chiefs. I like it when there's different different teams in play, but the way Patrick Mahomes has gone about it, the way that Andy Reid has settled in and, and got that team where it is. And, you know, it was literally picking the best player available to fit their scheme at the top of the draft there and gave themselves a three-down running back who now knows it's going to be his role because of Williams opting out. So I think the Kansas City Chiefs have to be have to be the AFC representatives again. Uh, and then in the NFC, uh, sorry, Cameron, but I think that, I think it's the time for the Saints. Uh, I think I think the Saints, uh, I, I love Drew Brees. I love you know, everything that seems to have gone against them in the last couple of years. And in a, in a year where random things are happening and think times are changing, I think for once we'll have random things happening and and maybe actually falling for the Saints. And then I think uh, and I think I don't I don't I, I think it's Drew Brees' time. I think everything's lining up and moving on. I think the Saints will win it. What would say forty two thirty five. Wow. Details. Ali, you can come back anytime. That's not a problem at all. <laughs> Great to have you on the show. And Ali, I am no issue with people predicting the Saints getting to the Super Bowl and winning it because it's going to make them getting shafted by the officials in the postseason even sweeter when it happens again <laughs> this year. Uh, Ewan, over to you for your prediction. Uh, you just nicked fifty percent of it there, Ali, because that was what I had. I thought not, not to, not to butter up Paul in any way. But no, I, well, I had. I think you. I mean, yeah, you just generally just without sound broken record like the, the the carryover in offense and play calling and personnel i think is um is 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 definitely uh paramount here i'll just add as well i'd say this is the least top five uh, roster the texans have had by the way not in probably the last <laughs> seven or eight years so i'll just throw that one in there so I don't get an earful when uh, when i come off this but um but i think no i think i think the the um i, I, I struggle to see 
teams that have brought limited rookies in have got you know our solid foundational pieces right across the board that are not going to that are not going to uh, succeed this season. And I think every team probably gets to a point and then then breaks through that ceiling eventually. So I, I've got Baltimore and Lamar Jackson against the Saints was my prediction. Uh, I think he's probably due a, a postseason run, um, but I think Drew Brees will. Well, uh, hopefully you'd like to see a guy like that for his talents, not one enough. So you'd like to see a, a Will Lutz field goal or something like that that we saw beat one last year that could win it for the Saints or something like that. But I think, yeah, I think they're, I think both teams are due a break. Do you get both teams that are going to come in one year? You don't know. But I suppose it did happen last year. So, yeah, that's my prediction. That's one of the two scenarios that I'll accept the Saints winning the Super Bowl. That Drew Brees throws for zero touchdowns and Will Lutz does the whole thing. Or... <laughs> It's Jameis Winston that leads the team out and wins that Super Bowl because just honestly, Paul, Paul, leave the podcast. <laughs> I think that's the day that Paul hands in his notice from the podcast and doesn't come back. <laughs> anyway, right, brilliant. Well, that's the AFC South, guys. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to here's to having some football back in our lives very, very soon. So we're still joined by Ali Evans. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but this year, for the first time ever, we're doing an NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League. Paul, it's a new thing for us. People have said, oh, you guys should do a fantasy league, and we've decided, yeah, we should. It's another reason for us to disagree with each other, so it's fabulous, and a little bit of debate, so we like that as well. And there's always that, you know, facade that we all like each other and we all get on. And I think fantasy football is that kind of thing that can bring people together or really split them apart. And I think in our case, I think we're capable of falling apart over fantasy football. (laughs) Uh, Petty, you know, well, I would have won if that's always a great scenario and you got lucky with your draft position. So, so yes, we we sow discord and discontent through fantasy football. I tell you, Paul, you've got that. We would have won if uh, conversation nailed. You've just been spitting out on the podcast for years. <laughs> and the trash and, talk has commenced. Um, and this is where I get pick number 10. Yeah, <laughs> so what we've got here is we've got Ali Evans, who has been a, who has nominated himself and been appointed commissioner for this league. Just to run through the people that are taking part uh, is Paul and myself. We've got the wider NFL Scotland team and that we've got Gordon McGuinness. We've got Ian Stephen. We've got Jamie Borthwick. We've got Charles Parson. We've got Ali Evans himself. We've got Henry Pergos, who plays for Edinburgh Rugby and Scotland. And we've got Scott Cooper, who, of course, played for the Scottish Claymore, played that single game for the Chicago Bears as well. So we've got someone who's played for an NFL team in this fantasy league, which is very exciting in itself. So what we're going to do now is we're going to hand over to Ali, who is going to do the draw for the draft order. Um, You'll hear as well that there's nine names in there. There's also uh, player 10. Player 10, of course, the single fan listener position that we've got available. We'll have details of who that is coming up after the draw. Um, but over to you, Ali, for you to commence. Okay, so uh, in the in the, for the home draw, no, not really. Okay, so 10 <laughs> names. I've got a Tennessee Titans hat I'm picking out of. It'll hopefully bring me luck. Okay, so picking last. I really hope this is Paul now. Well, it, it is a presenter, but oh, it's the other no. one. It's Cameron. Oh, jeez. <laughs> He gets picked twice. He gets picked at the turn. That's fine. Uh, that's, you know, last of the bang average running backs and a solid wide receiver. <laughs> fine. We can work with that. Okay. And coming in at number nine, we've got Scott. 
Okay, so our NFL star is going to show us how to do it for the back end of the draft. So Scott Cooper, of course, um, and Paul, he said to us that he's not played fantasy football an awful lot, so he's uh, already going to be picking players whose names he's never heard of at position nine, I reckon. Yeah, he's like the guy at the pool table who plays you the first game for a fiver and you beat him easily, and then he ups the stakes to 20 quid and the boy <laughs> cleans you out for the next three games. I am taking none of that from Scott yeah, Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, I'm sorry, I'm not having that. Okay, right, and uh, just before Scott, we've got myself coming at the back end of the draft. So... Well, well, clearly, the reason we use paper and not these plastic balls is Ali couldn't heat up the piece of paper. Um, so that's so I should not. I should not have done this on a video Zoom call. I should have audio only. <laughs> that um, uh, Titans hats let him down as well. Uh, uh, I don't think. I, I, I think we all saw that coming. I really wanted Saquon Barkley this year, but <laughs> clearly, I'm not going to get him. Okay, and then in set, we've got Ian. Ian. Ian, who's provisionally told us that his strategy to this is going to be to pick 15 kickers. I uh, don't think that'll work, to be fair, because you can only play one. So uh, we've got our early contender for the loser bowl, that's for sure. Okay, and I think this is fifth, so right in the middle, we have our player number 10. Player 10, solid middle position for player 10. It's actually, uh, do you know what? I I always think with the, the, the draft, that's a good place to be because you can get one of the good uh, players, but you're not putting all your eggs in that one basket and then waiting 20 picks before you can get another one. Exactly. Okay, coming in fourth, probably back end of the uh, top running backs is going to be Charles. Thank God he wasn't first. That's made me a lot, that's made me a lot happy. I could no. not... Although he might have taken Aaron Rodgers first overall and done us all a favour, to be fair. so Just to prevent a panic for you, uh, Ali, that was actually number five, not number oh, was four. It? Just you. When you get to the end and you go, hang on a minute, there's an extra bit yeah. of paper here. <laughs> okay. Well, number four, then, is uh, Jamie. Jamie Borthwick. Now, that... That has Barkley written all over it, to be fair, yeah. at four, because, you know, you can argue McCaffrey won. Um, and then there's obviously a few players there. Lamar, um, in fact, because Gordon's going to be earlier, Lamar could be away. Mm, Jamie could well end with Barkley at four. It, it, it could, well, especially because Paul's still got to go, and Paul's oh, definitely going to be taking... He's going to take Kamara, otherwise he's not a Saints fan. If, he, if, he's, <laughs> if he's in this top three and Kamara's on the board and he doesn't take him, he's never allowed to support the Saints again. I'm just happy I'm up there with the chance of getting them. Okay. And third is is Henry. Our fly, uh, our number nine is coming at number three. It's oh, a strong picking position for Henry, um, which means that we're down to Paul and Gordon McGuinness. Um, okay. Which, uh, Paul, because you're here, do you want my left or my right hand? I'll take your left hand. You take this one? Yep, your left yep. hand. Yep. Okay, here we go. And in second is Gordon. No way. Spawny git. You do realize you're going to have to take McCaffrey through and root for a Panther all season long. Who knows? I mean, I, I could have the GM abilities of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Who knows where I'm going to go? Um, <laughs> I, I, I will obviously get my staff working on this and we'll, we'll be working on our draft board right away. But the number one draft pick, how about that? Can't believe bad. I've been stitched up like this, honestly. It's disgusting. <laughs> 
Right, well, thank you to Ali for putting that together. We will be doing our draft nearer the season. But there is that player 10 that we talked about before. So we got your pitches in. We asked you a couple of weeks ago to send your direct messages to us. We then took the best. We're going to take the best three. We actually took the best five. And we took the best five to Scott Cooper. We gave them without any names or any context. We got Scott to pick. So here's what he had to say around that and who will be our player 10. So, Paul, a couple of episodes ago, we kicked off the idea that we were going to have an NFL Scotland Fantasy League for the first time ever. There's the six NFL Scotland team members. We've also got Henry Purgos, who plays for Scotland in Edinburgh Rugby. We've got Ali Evans, who plays cricket for Scotland. And we've got the Scott Cooper, who played American football for Scotland. So that's quite the lineup. But we decided to open it up to a fan as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a great idea. We've got nine. We need 10. We've got 10 spaces. So why not get somebody in from our NFL Scotland podcast audience? And we've asked for some submissions. People, you know, pitch. Tell us why you should be that person. So who, who better to pick a person than Scott Cooper? So that's what we've got Scott here for. So Scott is judge and jury, as, as he usually is, to be fair. And uh, he, he can make the final decision. We know that Scott the, the, Sorry, on you go, Scott. No, I was going to say, I'm sure there's, there's plenty better qualified than me, but I'll do. We've seen you make loads of great picks in your career. This is just another one in a long list. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, what I'm going to do here, Paul, is I've actually narrowed this down to five. I think these are the best five. We'll go through these one at a time. I'll get your thoughts on them, Paul. And at the end, we're going to turn this over to Mr. Cooper himself. We're going to ask him to select... He, we won't give any names as we do this. It's just based on the content. So the first pitch that came in. Hi, I should be given a chance to join your fantasy league as my currently league, I only know one person in. The fun in fantasy is competing with folk whose opinions you know and your podcast is the most NFL chat I get in my life, i.e. it's all one way. Okay, I, I like the pitch, the fact that, you know, very friendly, very open, wants to be part of it. They didn't mention that they were a Rams fan or anything like that, so that helps as well. So, yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Sympathy vote there. Right, on to number two. Regarding the NFL Scotland Fantasy League, what better way to annoy Cameron than having a Chiefs fan on board and him losing again? Question mark. That, that's got a lot of potential. Anything that annoys you, obviously, I'm on board with straight away. Um, you know, the person is obviously wise enough to realise that that would be an appealing factor for the rest of the league. So, yep, I like number two. Yes, uh, trash talk, definitely uh, a major part of fantasy football. Number three, reasons to give me the 10th fantasy spot. Firstly, diehard Claymore's fan, including travelling to Amsterdam in 2000 to see the infamous one end zone game in which Scott Cooper caught the most wide open touchdown pass I've ever witnessed. Secondly, I could share a story about one of your podcasters and the best cricket appeal in history. Note, it wasn't Cameron. Finally, you'll have the advantage of playing against one of the unluckiest fantasy players around. If I pick them, they'll get a season-ending injury. AJ Green in 29, Jimmy Garoppolo in 2018, Aaron Rodgers in 2017. I'll call my team injured reserve. See, they're getting better as they go along, in my humble opinion. I mean, obviously, a big fan, Claymore's travelling as well, but there is nothing better in a fantasy league than that one person whose players all get injured and you just want to play them <laughs> that week. That's just ideal. I love it. Love it so far. 
Okay, number four. I love playing fantasy and I'm playing in more leagues this year than ever before. I'd love to join the NFL Scotland League and lord it over you all because as a Patriots fan, how can I lose? Pick me. Well, if you wanted us to pick you, and you're lucky I'm not making the pick, I wouldn't have put the words Patriots and fan in there, to be perfectly honest. But on the other hand, beautifully honest, beautifully upfront, good pitch, and obviously somebody with a great deal of experience who could be difficult to beat. That might not have been the best idea to tell us, though. So the last one, then, is... Adding me to the NFL Scotland Fantasy League will increase your international membership. By allowing this Glasgow-based Welsh Celtic brother compete with Scotland's best. I'm already royalty as pick king of Scotland, so you may be scared of some elite competition. But I'll leave it to divine intervention whether I can conquer like Robert the Bruce or tragically fail like Macbeth. But I'm probably more of a Christopher Lambert. There can be only one fantasy contender. Well, I mean, that's one heck of a pitch. You know, you're talking international appeal. I think Wales does class as international appeal. You know, anybody who quotes Highlander the movie, mm, that, that's, a tough, that's a tough one to beat. So, yeah, and the, again, they didn't reveal their true uh, allegiance, which is also interesting. But the pick king of Scotland would be some addition, I would have to say. So we've heard the pitches, I've read them, you've given your thoughts, but it's all down to Scott Cooper. It's Scott that gets to decide. So, Scott, what are your thoughts? They're all good pitches, guys. And, uh, well, you could take any of them, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would concur with a lot of what Paul was saying there. Um, I'm thinking along the same lines. I am obviously instantly drawn to the one who name-dropped me and <laughs> said they were... A big Claymores fan, um, went to the Amsterdam game. No one covered me at all for that touchdown catch. I was wide open. Paul, Stroke, Cameron, both of yous would have scored in NFL Europe with it, believe me. Um, so, however, however, I, I am strangely drawn to, the, um, to our Welsh Celtic brother. Um, he, uh, you know what, I, I, I like the fact that there's a Shakespearean reference. Good stuff. I, um, you know, I like the fact that he's international, again, brings something exotic to it. But I, I like Paul, I love the Highlander <laughs> reference. Some of your our, your younger listeners might need to go away and Google what Highlander is. But um, even before the Claymores, I used to play for the Glasgow Lions. And oh my God, Highlander was on repeat on, a, on the old VHS video recorder on the bus for many of those long journeys. And again, some of your youngest listeners might need to go and Google what VHS is. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, there you have it. Congratulations to Brian Dando. As he said, he is the pick king of Scotland already. He now joins the NFL Scotland Fantasy League. And actually, on that, I'm going to make a bit of a decision on this one. I think that going forward, because we'll be running our Pick King of Scotland competition again this year. That's where everyone gets the opportunity to make their picks and the winner is the person that's done best out of the whole competition is crowned the King or Queen of Scotland. From this point forward, because Scott's made that choice, and I think it's a solid choice, but let's make an extra prize for being the King or Queen of Scotland. It will be moving forward that if you win the Pick King or Queen, you will get the 10th place in the NFL Scotland Fantasy League the following year. And the chance to really show you know what the NFL is all around. So, Brown Scott, I think it's a great pick. Brian, congratulations. We'll be in touch about getting the details out to you.
congratulations to Brian Dando, who was selected by Scott Cooper. Uh, I, Brian's a 49er. She's oh. a brilliant addition to the league. I think, oh. you know what? That's brilliant. That's absolutely was that Was that a part of the criteria? You had to say who you supported? <laughs> no, I just happened to know. I just happened uh. to know. Just happened to know. So, I, so I know who everyone supports. It's the first question I ask anybody that ever engages with us. Who do you support, by the way? Just I, I like to be able to judge people up front. Um, that's how you do things. Did, in the did you get Brian to write five entries and send all five to Scott <laughs> and go, which one of these five is the best? Well done, Brian. You've won. Well, it is to be fair, it is the trivia quiz answer to the question, what's worse than a 49ers fan? Two 49ers <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay, brilliant. Okay, well, there you go. We look forward to the fantasy football season ahead. So that's the full-time whistle then for episode 110. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time and in parts of the world we still can't quite believe. However, we need your help to keep on going. We appreciate every retweet and share. Love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. We stick to the south next week as we're going to team up on Paul and spend as much of the episode talking about Jameis Winston as is possible. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Thank you to you and Ali for joining us. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. Please go buy one of our week one party packs. They're about to run out, you know. We'll be back next week. But until then, bye for now. Seventeen bloody take Mitchell. I get grumpy at the BBC if I don't do my highlights in one. Ah, yeah, I, I get anyway. grumpy at you too. Bloody head, I have to do. <laughs>